Welcome to the Discipleship Discussions podcast. We believe everyone can be a disciple who makes disciples. Our goal is to help you with this process. Each week, we take the lesson taught through basic discipleship and break it down in a discussion format. Now, let's join today's discussion. Hey, welcome back to our podcast. My name is Benji Linder. With me, as always, is Dr. Patrick Latham. We're on Lesson 8 of Doctrine of the Bible, and we're going to talk about canonization. So most people in the pew probably have never heard this word. Mm-hmm. I never heard this word till I got to seminary. Uh, and then once they gave a definition for it, I was like, why in the world would they use the word canon instead of something else? <laughs> uh, but still have not made a connection. I'm sure there's a language deal. Um, but let, kick us off by doing this. Explain the process of what was necessary for a book of the Bible to be put into the canon. In other words, what makes the books we have today trustworthy and not apocrypha? Yeah, so, so early church, and you see witness, witness in the Bible, the New Testament, mm-hmm. like Peter speaking of Paul's writings as if they're Scripture, Paul speaking of the Gospels as if they're Scripture, John upholding the book of Revelation as if it's Scripture. So you know early on, even while the apostles were still alive, the books we have in the New Testament were being regarded as Scripture. So there was this process in the early church where they they didn't determine what was Scripture, but it seems they discerned or discovered. Right. Key key variation, key difference there. So they discerned or discovered. And it seems there were a few important rules. Number one, did an apostle have influence upon the writing? Like it couldn't just be some Johnny come lately, hey, I'm making up what I think about Jesus. They had to be closely related to the apostles or to Jesus. Mark, James would be examples of individuals who were not apostles but closely related to uh, Jesus. One like really related to Jesus, James. Um, So you've got that. Were they influenced by Jesus or the apostles? Secondly, was the the teaching within the book, the writings, were they in alignment with the the rest of Scripture? Um, Did did they present and uphold the key doctrines of the Christian faith and not go against those key doctrines? Third would be, does it seem to have a sense of Holy Spirit inspiration? If all spirits given by inspiration of God, does it seem to have the seal um, of the Holy Spirit upon it. And then the other was, was it used by the church and deemed beneficial? Mm-hmm. And so that may be one, the, the apostolic part and the usefulness part may be the two biggest standards. Like once it became, once it was used a lot and seemed to be beneficial, that's proof that it's spirit inspired in one way. Yeah. And I think at seminary, that was a question on one of my tests, maybe hermeneutics or and uh, universally accept it was one of the answers. So I remember that. Um, so the churches believed in it. They believed it was true. They believed it was gospel. And you're, you mentioned a lot of New Testament, but also Old Testament is part mm-hmm. of this process, right? Mm-hmm. And what I should have done at the beginning but um, is explain what canonization means. That is the process of which many men have sat down and said, what is God's Word? Mm-hmm. What do we put inside of the Bible? Mm-hmm. Um, so we know, switching over, going to number two, uh, the canon was uh, finalized in the fourth century. We have the different councils, right, the meetings. Mm-hmm. Um, does that mean, in your opinion, that the canon is sealed? In other words, can something come up somewhere, a, a book, and we say, hey, that should be part of the Bible we have today? 
Yeah, I would I would say that the canon is closed, and you see witness to that in Scripture. Number one, if there if an apostle has to influence it, there were no more apostles. Revelation teaches us that there's only twelve. So all those dudes are gone. There's no apostles coming out with part two, right? That's right. They're they're all gone. So uh, that would be one part of it. Then um, also, you you think of this idea that in Deuteronomy, Proverbs, and Revelation, there's this warning to not add to the words of God. And there's actually curses for those who add to the word. Like all God. the plagues of this book would be yeah, added to. Yeah, yeah, I remember someone quoting that. I never forgot that verse. Yeah, Anytime yeah. you get up to preach, just think about that. <laughs> yeah, definitely. That's right. So, um, you know, a thing you run into is like with Mormonism. Mm-hmm. If you quote Revelation to them, that out of Revelation 22, John's words, they and I've done this witnessing to a Mormon, and I've said, hey, your book of Mormon claims to be like an addition and further light and a correction to our Bible. What about here where the Bible in Revelation says, do not add to this book? Their response, I found, would be, hey, that's just talking about the book of Revelation. God can still reveal himself and send new revelation. My response to that would be, hey, that warning is not just in the book of Revelation alone. You see it in Proverbs, you see it in the law, Deuteronomy, mm-hmm. which is for the Jews and the law. You see it in Proverbs, which is a which is a um a book that contains not necessarily law, but general teaching for all of life. He has these general axioms like train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old he'll not depart from it. It's not a rule or a law because we know there's children who rebel. It's an axiom for all of life that under most circumstances is generally true. So the Lord's given this axiom for all of life. Hey, you don't add to God's words. You don't ever add to God's mm-hmm. words. So it's not, this isn't just about the book of Revelation. We see it in the warning in the law. So for all the Old Testament, we see it in the New Testament as well with John the Apostle. We see it also in Proverbs. It's just like general truth for all of life. So Scripture gives this warning for all ages, don't add to God's words. And the book of Hebrews says that God spoke in past times by the prophets, but in these last days, the church age, he's spoken by his son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ was represented by his apostles. And once Jesus Christ and his apostles passed off the scene, there is no new special revelation. We have God's revelation in the New Testament. So um, the, the canon's closed. There's no place for uh, new revelation. The old saying, if it's new, it's probably not true. You can apply that to the subject of the canon. Right. Anything you would add to that? The only thing is, practically speaking, if there was another book of the Bible out there, so here we are in 2020, um, you think we would have found it by now, right? Yeah. And so as many copies that were made of the original scriptures, um, being thousands of those, you would think if there was another Bible, like we wouldn't just stumble across mm-hmm. next year 
uh, but it would be found throughout the ages, mm-hmm. and you can see where the church used it. So in the days where we can go back and even find sermons from those that were, you know, in the third, fourth century, mm-hmm. if they're not using that, that should tell us that, you know, this is not part of the canon. So practically speaking, taking a thousand foot view, if there were other books of the Bible out there, we would have run, run across them by now. Yeah, that's right. So, all right. Third question. Is it safe to get theological truths from the Apocrypha or any of the lost books? Um, I could, I would say it's about like going down to your Christian bookstore and buying, you know, any Christian author nowadays. Mm-hmm. Like, can I get theological truths um, from going and reading, you know, the new bestseller that's out and Christian books bookstore put out by Zondervan or Thomas Nelson? Yeah, I can get that. Is it straight from the mouth of God? Is it direct special revelation? No. Um, so, what I read in those devotional books that I may read, um, whether it's something new from a pastor I enjoy reading, whether it's something from, um, you know, the Reformation time, or like yesterday I was reading, I read a Spurgeon sermon in my devotional time. Whatever I may get from those books has to always be held up to Scripture. That's right. Because Scripture is God's specially revealed word that comes from prophets, apostles, Jesus Christ. It is truth, absolute truth. Jesus said, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Mm -hmm. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. So can I find some theological truths? Yeah, but I'll probably also find um, some mistruths Mm -hmm. or things that aren't as edifying, may even find some historical inaccuracies. So you just have to be aware of that. So so what I think, like I've got a copy of the church father's in the Apostolic Fathers, um, the Didache, I think we call it. Okay. And so I've Sounds got, good to me. Yeah, so I've got that in one of these. There's, it's a little a nice edition put out by Harvard where it has the Greek and the English. Oh, and so I've read that in my devotional time before. Mm-hmm. As I read it, I realize this is not the Word of God. This is like devotional reading, although, man, it's pretty cool. It's from mm-hmm. the early church. So I get to read what they were thinking and some really good stuff. I mean, I really enjoyed reading it. But all along, I'm thinking if it departs from Scripture in any way, I don't agree with it. And then also as I read it, I just don't put as much stock in it. And I don't feel like Scripture the way you feel that kind of, man, this is a book like unlike any other book. You just don't sense that when you read um, those types of writings. Gotcha. Yeah, and additionally speaking, if we can get theological truths and everything was theologically true, it wouldn't be apocrypha or lost yeah, book. Yeah. It'd be part of the canon. Yeah, um, example, I'll be, um, re, you know, you speak about theological truth. I think I'll actually be bringing out in a sermon soon in my Sunday preaching from the apocrypha because uh, going back to where Jesus speaks of the abomination of desolation, you see where Daniel's prophecy was actually fulfilled. Daniel was the first one to mention of that. It was a fulfilled um, in the Maccabean Revolution during that around that time, mm-hmm. and that's actually recorded uh, how Antiochus Epiphanes went into the Holy of Holies and um, I believe like erected a um, an altar to Zeus and sacrificed a pig. I think I think I may be wrong on the details there, but um, it's recorded mm-hmm. in one of the apocryphal. Apocrypha book, books of the Apocrypha. So I'll reference that, but as history, not as this is the Word of God. So it is beneficial in some regard. That's right. 
Um, all right, last one. Uh, very practical question here. What advice do you give someone who has a friend that claims a book of the Apocrypha is should be part of Scripture, um, i.e., a Roman Catholic growing up in South Louisiana yeah. as the predominant denomination down there will be Roman uh, Catholicism. Uh, and then coming up here in North Georgia is not so much, but a lot of conversations I've had about that. What advice do you give to someone who's having that type of conversation with a friend who's Catholic or Mormon uh, and specific? I know there's a lot we can go into there, but specifically dealing with um, the Apocrypha. Yeah. You know, I, I think it just goes back to like any, um, evangelism relationship um and it may not be an instance of evangelism the person may be saved but maybe not you know for me it would always go back to hey if they dialogue you know let your your speech be seasoned with salt ready to give grace to the hearers colossians 4 6 yeah. i pray that daily yeah. believe it or yeah. not <laughs> yeah. awesome so i'm glad you pray that daily because you had the reference at hand sure. and then also the idea of always be ready to give an answer for the re- for the hope that's within you mm-hmm. so you, you don't want to come off self self-righteous judgmental um ugly you know you want to be ready to that's why we have this lesson right here we're equipping people mm-hmm. with some truth here so you go back if you do have the opportunity to discuss you're able to go back to the theological inaccuracies I shared, the historical inaccuracies I shared, the history behind when it was added. For 1,500 years, it was not regarded as a part of the canon. The The New Testament does not reference it in any way that sheds it in a favorably favorable light or makes it an authority. Look at how often the Old Testament is mentioned mm-hmm. And how little it's referenced. I believe you can find maybe one reference, but I don't even know if it's really a reference. It may be another kind of lost book. Mm-hmm. We don't know where it really comes from. I think it's in Jude where there's a reference to Enoch. I think that's correct. The yeah. book of Enoch. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you know, boy, if that really was the word of God, don't you think with all the scripture, all the cross referencing we see in the Old Testament, we would mm-hmm. see more reference to it. One, that the early church fathers have mentioned it. Wouldn't it, um, it, it be more in alignment? Why, why are there these teachings that are contrary, like justification by faith? Why are there these teachings that encourage black magic and other things? So if you've got that opportunity to debate, there you go. You, you share that. But we know that a lot of times when people are holding on to something like that, there's emotional reasons. Mm-hmm. There's maybe family reasons. Mm-hmm. There's maybe volitional reasons. They don't want to change. They're entrenched in their thoughts. So then all you can do is love them, share the truth, pray for them, seek to be a, a witness and an example there. And, you know, at least encourage them to read the New Testament as much, if not more, as they read that other stuff mm-hmm. and let the Word of God do its work because it is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. What would you say if you had a friend doing that? I would say, number one, explain why there's a difference. Uh, mm-hmm. Know why there's a difference. Uh, everything you just mentioned about your demeanor is very important. And also know when it's appropriate to to kneel down or, or squat down and start drawing in the dirt. You see Jesus doing that at mm-hmm. times. You know, they're they're debating all around them. Chaos is going on all around them, and he's not saying a word mm-hmm. to them. That's he good. hears everything, but he's down there, and they said he was drawing in the dirt. Um, and so know when uh, the proper time is to speak 
and when to be quiet and to listen, uh, but never back down from truth. Just because you're quiet and listen doesn't mean you're given license to anything. Mm-hmm. It's knowing how to have uh, or having relationship skills to get to the end result uh, and making sure you don't debunk that process there, mm-hmm. get them off the journey. So I would say that and, and also um, stick to what you believe. Mm-hmm. And and believe it, know it in and out. Mm-hmm. Good, that's so, good. Well, all right. Any other questions, no, comments, good, rude man. remarks, no. cries of outrage? Nope, nope. I'll right. save those for after we go off. <laughs> that's right. That's after right. We, after we mash the record. That's right. We, yeah, we don't want that recorded. All right. Well, thank you so much for watching. We look forward to seeing you at our next episode. Thank you for joining us today for our discussion on basic doctrine of the Bible. Stay current with other episodes by subscribing to our podcast. For show notes, visit us online at basicdiscipleship.net. If you have any questions about the materials presented in this discussion, or if you would like to give feedback, email us at info at basicdiscipleship.net. Thanks for listening.